We're in a series called Hunting Good, and uh, the whole idea this entire month, we finished it up today, but the entire month has been looking for good, seeking for good, looking around people in the world, looking around places around you, looking for the things that are good, and then hopefully being that good as best as we can. Uh, so we're doing something this morning. We do this every year as a church, and uh, if, if you're new around here, then this will be fun to catch you up on. But we do this intentionally to look back on the year prior to just see all the good things that God has been doing, that God did through our church, did through you. And uh, so what we have is called the year in review. It takes us about a month and a half, two months to get all the numbers and all the data and everything compiled from the year before. So we are ready to present it to you. So I'll show you where you can see this and find this, but I just wanted to highlight a few of my favorite numbers from 2019. So in 2019, the good that we have seen God do in and through our church, ready for this? 549 pounds of coffee was ordered and drank between all of our church locations. 549. Some of you are like, I took care of half of that. That's great. All right, uh, here's another one. 141 baptisms across all of our churches just in 2019. Great stuff. 330 backpacks packed for Dawson County Schools. That's an incredible number. Excited about that one. Check this out. With our Celebrate Recovery Ministry, over 200 grace chips were handed out just this last year in 2019. Way to go, CR. This one's great. Okay, check this out. 42,336, you're like, what in the world has 42,000, right? Cheerios eaten or dropped on the floor by our preschoolers. Isn't that great? That's fantastic. So many great things. That's just a few of my favorites. Um, but really, take some time, if you would, go to our website. Let me show you how to get there, morelifechange.com. If you want to see the year in review document, just go to morelifechange.com slash give and you'll see it right there 2019 year in review a lot of great things to celebrate a lot of great good that that god has been doing in and through us as a church which obviously is is you the other thing i would want you to know so that's 2019 moving forward in 2020 we always post our year budget for you to take a look at one of our values here is authenticity and transparency so we always want you to see well, here's where we're going. Here's where we believe God is leading, and here's what that looks like. So again, if you go to that website, you'll see year in review for 2019, and you'll see our 2020 budget. You can look through everything. If you've got any questions, all you got to do is ask me, and we'd love to circle up and, and help you see, well, here's why we're doing that, and here's where this is going. And all of this happens because of your willingness to give. So let me put this on here if you just are curious on how do you give to this church, and I always say it's really giving to God through our church. But this is your tithes and offerings. This is your generosity and your faithfulness to God to see God do some incredible things through the ministries, like what we saw in 2019 and what we are expecting to see in 2020. So if you're interested in giving and letting that be part of your journey, uh, then all you got to do is text that number on the screen, MLC Men for ministry, MLC Men, to that number, and you'll get some instructions on how to give. Because what happened in 2019 and where we're going in 2020, it requires two things to happen. The first one we just sang about, the Holy Spirit has to move. Nothing moves without the Holy Spirit moving. And then it takes us as a church, as a people, to say we're all in. So whether that's serving or giving, it's, it's being here and, and being a, a help to the people around you. It takes those two parts. It's God moving, but it's us playing our part as well. So, man, so thank you for all the incredible things that God was able to do through you in 2019. And, man, we are truly, truly excited 
for 2020. So check out the website, see what God's been doing. Uh, it's a lot of fun to look through a bunch of those numbers. Two more things for you. So like I said, we're ending the series Hunting Good today, which means these Hunting Good cards are your last chance to pick these up. And I'll just tell you, like, it's working. Uh, I ran into a guy, doesn't come to church here, but um, we're kind of in similar circles, and he's in the medical field, and, and he said, hey, is your church the one handing out all the green cards? And I said, unpack that for me. What, what exactly are you asking there, the, the green on the front? He said, no, the ones where people would, like, write things and then hand it to you of, like, what you thought they thought you were good at. I was like, yeah, that's us. He said it was so cool. He had one sitting on his desk with a little post-it note saying who it was from. But he's like, man, that's incredible. It made my day. Not like church, this works. When you look at somebody and you hand them something that says, here's what I see in you. Here's the good that you're doing. I'm thankful for. I appreciate you for. It makes a difference. So here's what, what I'm challenging our church to today. I've got a couple boxes of these left because we ordered a ton. They should all be gone by the end of today. Not like gone thrown in the trash, gone like I'm taking a stack of these, and over the next six months, I'm going to be handing these out whenever I can. Just because it's not tied to the series anymore, that's still okay to tell people what you're thankful for about them. So don't wait on me to do another series on this. Use these, grab a stack of them, get rid of them over the next several weeks or several months or the course of the year, letting people know, here's what I think you are good at. So let's get rid of these cards today. The other thing is those red chairs, those red stools out in the lobby, they go away after today. The whole idea is to invite somebody to sit across the table from you. The things that we see in other people, the good that we see in others, to not hold on to that, but to speak that into other people, to share that to them. So today's your last chance to do it in that way. So make sure you do not leave without having a spouse or a kid or a friend sit across the table from you and just speak a compliment into their life. Man, I'm thankful for. I've see, I see in you this. Speak some life into their life because of the good that you have seen. Last chance to do that in the lobby today as the series wraps up. Well, if you've got your Bible, head over to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be in uh, the book of Romans the entire morning. In fact, we're going to go through three chapters, Romans 6, 7, and 8. So three chapters and 30 minutes, buckle up. You ready for that? No, I'm just kidding. No, you're, we will go through it kind of quick, but there's no way I could go through all three chapters in our time this morning. So guess what your homework is this week? You're going to be reading Romans 6, 7, and 8, because we're going to kind of walk through it kind of quick. I want you to see some very specific things through these three chapters, but there's a lot in there that I'm not going to hit this morning. So go back this week, read 6, 7, and 8, and you'll see even more. You'll, you'll see where we're going with this. But what I would encourage you to be thinking through, if you've been here for this series of Hunting Good, we focused on the good of God. We focused on the good of other people, thus the Hunting Good cards and the sit across the table. We focused on how we can speak good and be the good in other people's lives. Nathan last week talked about giving generous assumptions, assuming the best in other people. This morning we're going to take a little bit of a different angle on hunting good because we're going to look at the good in us, the good in me, the good in you. And if we're very honest, we're like, I don't always feel like there's much good in there. That's what we're going to talk through. Noticing the good that is in us or sometimes the feeling of the lack of good that's in us. So as we go through these three chapters, Romans 6, 7, and 8, you're going to see a little bit of a progression. And that progression is this, the good, the not good, and then the good again. And if, if you're like me, you're going to feel like you fit in one of those three spaces this morning. Where, man, I'm going to hear the good news, and, and I believe that, and my life is in Jesus' hands, and he lives in my heart, that's good. You're going to see in Romans chapter 7, but there's a lot of not good in me. 
There's a lot of bad in me and bad in my life and bad choices and a bad history. We're going to talk through that. But then by Romans chapter 8, you're going to see, man, the good again and how we live that life out. So starting in Romans chapter 6, here's what we see, verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that's Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer, look at this, no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, because anyone, you and me, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. If you keep going on, verse 11 says it in this way, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but what's this word here? Dead to sin, but alive, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that's the good news. We even use the phrase in church world, the gospel, meaning good news, great news. That because of what Jesus has already done on the cross, I am, I'm dead to sin. Sin no longer reigns in me. It no longer holds onto me. Or Paul's words here, I'm no longer a slave to sin. But instead, what's the word one more time? But we are alive in Christ Jesus. Man, that is the good news. We're going to get into the bad news here in just a second. But that's the good news. That because of what Jesus did, I am no longer a slave to sin, but I am alive in Christ. Before we get to the bad news, let's pray and thank God for the good news. God, thank you so much for that great news, for the gospel, that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, because he defeated death and sin, he came out of that grave three days later, we are given life. Oh, may we always hold on to that. May that story never get old. And God, this morning, may we come with open hands, open hearts, open minds, open ears, and open eyes as we open your word. Speak to us, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's Romans 6, the great news that we are no longer slaves to sin, but because of Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection, we are made alive in Christ. But then we get to the bad part. Let me say it this way. Um, there's, there's something that I, I rarely do, and in fact, I haven't done this, I haven't been to this location in over a year, easily. It might even be longer than that. But I rarely, 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 if ever, walk into the doors of the Bath and Body Workshop in the outlet mall. It's just not for me. I should not go in there. And the last time that I went there, I'm pretty sure it was just to get Becky one of the little plug-ins or candles or something like that. But you know how it is. You walk in there and you're just like punched in the face with the soap smells and candles and all the other scents and everything. So truly, it had been over a year. It's been over a year since I've last, I've last been in Bath and Body Works over at the outlets. But something interesting happened. I went that one time, and I said, I'll never do this again. I'm doing this just one time. It's only going to happen once. Becky asked me to, so I went and did it. And the next day, I got an email from Bath & Body Works. And it said, we are so thankful for your purchase. In fact, we are so grateful that you bought from us. We would like to give you a coupon to come back and buy something else. And I'm like, no, delete. I don't need to go back. Well, something interesting happened a week after I first walked into Bath & Body Works. I got another email. This time with a, we've missed you. Are you running out of your candles? And I said, no, delete. And then I started to know a pad, notice a pattern that every single week, sometimes multiple times a week, I will get an email from Bath and Body Works begging me to come back. And they do so by giving me coupons and discounts and letting me know of all the wonderful special events they're having at their store. So I tried to do the unsubscribe button. And it's like they're sitting over in the back saying, no, he doesn't really mean that. He doesn't want, I know he says he wants to be unsubscribed, but he doesn't want to. 
He wants it. He needs this. So I continue to this day get emails from Bath and Body Works. Now, it causes me to go back in my mind to that one moment several years ago it had to have been when they asked, well, may I have your email address? And I so ignorantly said yes. I said, yes, you may have my email because maybe my wife would like to get something. I'm like, I can opt out at any point, which a year plus later has turned out to be false. <laughs> but that happens in our lives, doesn't it, where we do something one time, we give in one time, we go someplace one time, we allow our mind to go there one time, and all of a sudden it keeps coming back and it doesn't quit. And you try to opt out and you try to say, no, I'm good, and I, I don't want to give back in, yet it's still in front of us day in and day out. It's what happens with our struggles and our sins. And that's something I struggled with a long time ago, but yet still today, you still struggle with it. See, Romans 6 tells us that if we are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin, but you are, one more time, you are alive in Christ. But as you start reading, and that's what we're going to look at in chapter 7, we see, well, I'm still struggling. Sin is still in my life. Sin is, sin is still a major part of my life. What happened to that? I'm free from sin. I'm not, I'm not a slave to sin anymore, but I have freedom and life in Jesus why am I still struggling? Why am I still tempted? Why do I still have these things in my life that I keep giving into? Why isn't that gone yet? See, so often as Christians, let me talk to you if you're a believer in Christ, we feel like there's something like, well, did the whole salvation thing not work? <laughs> because I gave my life to Christ, yet I'm still struggling with the sin and the issues in my life. Know that you're in good company. I'm right there with you. And so is Paul. Look what happens in chapter 7. So remember, chapter 6, the good. We are saved because of Jesus' sacrifice. Chapter 7, here's the not so good. Chapter 7, verse 15. Look at what Paul writes. I do not understand what I do. Can we just stop there for a moment? <laughs> Paul, the writer of a good portion of the New Testament, who had an, a radical transformation when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, is saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. I do not understand what is happening in my life. Jesus has my heart, yet still I don't understand what is going on. I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't understand what I'm thinking. I don't understand why I say the things that I say. I don't understand why I act out in the way that I act. I don't understand why I'm still struggling. Now let me just give you a fair warning here. What he's about to say is going to feel a little jumbled. It's almost like you can just tell, you can feel the tension and the frustration just in reading Paul's words. Listen to this. So verse 15, I do not understand what I do. And it's going to get a little confusing, but I promise we'll wrap it up really well. <laughs> I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. You understand that so far? I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. It says in verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. In other words, well, that there's some good in there, but guess what? It's not of me. That's Jesus. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living in me, the bad in me. Verse 18, I know that the good it's, it's, itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. <laughs> Confusing, isn't it? It sounds like he's just rambling a little bit. 
He says, I have no idea what I'm doing and why I'm thinking this way, why I'm acting this way, why I'm struggling this way. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The desire is good. I have the desire to do good, but I don't do it. I end up doing the evil instead. If there's any good in me, he says, well, it's not from me. That's Jesus. And any of the bad in me, well, yeah, that's all me. The good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I wish I didn't do, that's what I'm doing. Now, all of that kind of jumbled together. He does start to sum it up. Verse 21, he writes this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Well, the New Living Translation says it like this. I love this version. I have discovered, Paul said, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Good news, chapter 6, we are no longer a slave to sin, but we are alive in Christ. Bad news, chapter 7, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> Why is it that I have given my life to Christ and I'm supposedly set free from sin, but I'm still doing the things I don't want to do? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. What's wrong with me? Everything I want to do that's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Constant tension, isn't it? I know what's right, but I do what's wrong. This last Monday, went and checked out a new restaurant in town. Ray's, Ray's Grill, super good. Huge fan. You got to go check it out. And I'm saying that at each service, so you're th you're Thank you, Rage. You're welcome for sending all of my church to lunch today. It's, it's great. It's a great spot. So I walked in on Monday, never been there before. Huge fan of the barrel candies, by the way. Don't know what's up with that, but that's awesome. Go. You'll know what I'm talking about. So I walk in, and there's this massive menu, huge menu on the, uh, up on the wall. And I start looking through all the different food items. And, and Becky and I, we do our best, and, and we try to eat healthy. We try to live healthy and, and exercise. And and try to do that, especially during the week, and then weekends, it's kind of like, ah, pizza every night, kids, whatever. But during the week, we try really hard to, to do what's right with, with health, healthy eating. So I'm looking at the different menu options, and, and a lot of really good salad options, good wrap sandwich options. I mean, they look really good. It doesn't feel like, a, oh, you're really missing out eating healthy. It was really good options. But my eyes moved over to the left side of the menu where it said the burgers, and I'm just reading the descriptions of each of these. And I get to one, and I'm like, that's it. The giddy-up burger. So instead of the salads and the soups and the sandwiches, I'm like, giddy-up burger, yes, please. Which is a half pound of just beef with cheddar cheese, bacon and bacon bits, barbecue sauce, and fried jalapenos on top. That'll make you sing in the morning. Man, it was good. Then you get a whole basket of fries, and they're the good fries. And I'll tell you, in that moment of Monday lunch, zero regrets. Even though I know what I should have gotten, I made a very different choice in the moment and had zero regrets until later on in the evening. No regrets at all until later, and you know how that goes. You're like, oh, why did I choose that? Why did I decide that? I had to explain to my wife why my stomach hurt. And she's like, well, what did you order? I said, the Giddy Up Burger. She's like, well, duh, you're an idiot. And I was like, I can't argue with that. <laughs> but that's what we do, right? I mean, it seems like it's an insignificant choice, but we do that all the time. I know what I should do, but I'm going to choose this. I know what I need to do, but I'm going to do this. I know what's good and right, but I inevitably, inevitably, to Paul's words, do what is wrong. 
So how do we reconcile chapter 6 and chapter 7? Chapter 6, you're alive in Christ. You are, you are free from sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. And here we are, all admitting and nervously laughing that, yeah, I'm in that place of I have no idea why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because the good I want to do, I don't do. And the bad that I shouldn't do, I end up doing. How do we reconcile those two? Let me help you in this way. Chapter 6 speaks to the power of sin. And yes, without a doubt, I believe with my heart and soul that yes, because of Jesus' sacrifice and the empty tomb, the power of sin is broken. Now, here's what chapter 7 speaks to. But the pressure to sin is still there. Understand the difference there. That's a big distinction. And oftentimes, we just lump them all together of the pressure and the power being the same thing. No, the power of sin is broken eternally. The power of sin is broken. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your sins and mine, and Scripture says he took them as far as the east is from the west. We are not held accountable to those any longer if you are in Jesus. The power of sin is broken. But yes, every single day, you and I are walking through life dealing with the pressures to continue to sin. The power of sin is broken, but the pressure to sin is still there. And let me just say this. It doesn't go away. If you are waiting for that pressure of temptation and the pressure to do wrong, it does not go away. If Paul's going to deal with it, we're probably going to deal with it too. The pressure to sin does not go away. So let's call those out. Like, what are those things? What are the giddy-up burgers in your life? Let me put this on the screen for you. Now, these are not just like my list. You'll find these in, in Scripture. You're going to find these in Romans and out of Galatians. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just a, a get-us-thinking list of the sins that we are dealing with daily, the pressures to sins, the struggles that we have, the difficulties that we're constantly facing. As you're looking through that list, and, and I'm sure there's at least one, if not multiple ones, that you're like, ooh, that one's mine. Can we all agree? Like, this is important. Can you raise your hand with me and say, yep, I see at least one up there that I struggle with, that's in my life, that I feel like I've, I'm going to wait till every hand is up. Deception is on there, liars. So we all have one, right? Agreed. Nod your head, you agree with me. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. This is going to, this is going to push you outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Take your finger and hold it up like this. We're not going to sing this little light of mine, don't worry. On the count of three, we are all going to point to the one that is our biggest one. Ready for this? One, two, three. Hold it up there so I can see which one you're pointing at. <laughs> Some of you are like, mine's like this. Ah! <laughs> I need more fingers. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you can put your fingers down. I'm not saying that to make light of it, but I am trying to normalize it a little bit. When you give your life to Christ, the power of sin is broken, but let's call it what it is. We all have the pressure to sin continually, each and every day. We are constantly dealing with and wrestling with that conflict, that internal, internal conflict of what Paul's talking about. Oh, I know what I really should do, but I end up doing this. And I really, really want to do the right thing, but I end up doing the bad thing. I really don't want to do this, and I just can't seem to help it. We all deal with it. We all struggle with that. Good news, we're no longer a slave to sin. Bad news is, we're still going to deal with sin. All the things that we pointed at. Now look at how Paul starts to wrap this section up. Look at what happens here. Verse 24, still in chapter 7, he writes, Oh, what a miserable person I am. 
that's awesome that the writer of the New Testament says, I'm a miserable person. Because I just would imagine, just like we did, we pointed to the things in our life that we are guilty for and we are ashamed of. We like to hide those. We don't want to admit to those. I feel like Paul's doing the same thing of like, man, after pointing to that screen, you're like, yeah, I'm a miserable person. I can't believe I'm still dealing with that. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Maybe those weren't your words, but can you put yourself there as you point to it? Oh, what a miserable person I am. How can I ever get this out of my life? I feel like my life is dominated, Paul says, dominated, maybe you say, by sin and death. What happened to the good news? Because I don't understand what I'm doing right now. And I don't understand how to get out of this spiral down of I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I know I should do. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will save me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, if you hear Nothing else, please hear this. Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank God for that good news again, that we are set free, that he does not hold that against us, that our God, did you know that our God is not a God of shame and guilt, but of grace and peace and love? So yes, we need to wrestle with the sin in our life, but Paul reminds us as he's almost reminding himself, no, I'm, I'm free because of Jesus, not because of what I do or don't do right. Now let's get into chapter 8. Here's the good news again. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. Because of what Jesus did, good news in chapter 6, I'm no longer condemned because of all the issues I wrestle with and all the sin that I'm still dealing with in my chapter 7, if you want to think of it in that way. He reminds us of the good news again. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're still going to struggle with sin. Don't forget that you are still free from sin. But there's still some things that we can do that help us live in that life of freedom. Because if you're like Paul or if you're like me, you get wrapped up in that, in that, again, I don't do what I should do and I do what I wish I didn't do and I don't know what I'm doing. That's not a fun life to live. Jesus talked about an abundant life. That's not an abundant life. Chapter 6 talked about this freedom. That doesn't sound like a life of freedom. So what Paul does now is he says, remind, reminds us, no, you are free, but here's some ways you can walk out that freedom so that you actually are living like a free person rather than living like a slave to sin. So that's what he does in chapter 8. I want us to see that. Look at this. Verse 5 and 6 is going to help us understand what we can do. Not what we can do to be free and saved, but what we can do to live that life out. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their, what's it say? Have their minds. It's up there, right? Okay, try one more time. Those that live according to the, according to the sinful nature have their minds, there it is, set on what the, that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, say it one more time, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind controlled by the sinful nature is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. That word mind there is huge. Underline it, highlight it, circle it, write it down, do something to remember it. Because he's helping us understand what this looks like. 
the mind controlled or focused on or set on the sinful nature leads to death. But the mind, the thoughts focused on or set on the things of God, the things of the Spirit, the Spirit's nature leads to life and peace. Now that's the abundant life that Jesus talks about. So we're free from sin because of Jesus. We still struggle and wrestle and commit sins. Where's our mind focused on? What is your thoughts set on? And that's an important distinction because one leads to death and one leads to life and peace. And what's interesting is that phrasing there, what our, what our version today says, set on or controlled, literally the image behind that is this idea of entertaining so another way to read this would be the mind that entertains the sinful nature leads to death or the mind that entertains or the thoughts that entertain the thoughts of God leads to life and peace. And so it's, it's an entertaining piece. It's like you get the knock on your door. Sin knocks on your door. Hello? Can I come in? yoo I know you're in there. Open the door! It's like sin's constantly knocking on your mind and your heart and we have the choice whether we open it or not. And if we are going to entertain the, the sinful nature, it's like we open the door and say, oh, it's been a while, come on in. Can I get you some coffee while you're here? Why don't you go ahead and sit down, relax, take a load off, put your feet up. Can I get you anything else? Right? We would never do that. To entertain the sinful nature, to entertain, allow our thoughts to just dwell there. Instead, when sin comes knocking on the door, we want to slam there and say, no, 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 whoa, whoa, what are you doing here? To entertain what should be entertained and what should be put out, what should be put out. It was about a year or so ago, um, my wife and I and our kids, we went and house sat for some friends of ours. And it was a good little weekend, just got us out of our normal routine. And so we packed up to go over and house sit for the weekend. Late at night, we finally got everything in, got the kids in their room, everything's on the first floor, got the kids in their room. Becky and I finished unpacking and just kind of took a load off and sat on the couch. As we were getting ready to turn on the TV, Becky looks up and screams because there's a bat flying around in the living room. My wife screams, I look up, I scream, we both hit the deck. She grabs a pillow, I crawl to the kitchen to grab a broom. I'm like, it's time to man up. This is what we were put on this earth for, is fighting bats. So I come in there, and she's got her pillow, and this bat, like, we're freaking out, so the bat's freaking out, and it's swooping down this close to my nose, I promise you. So she's got the pillow up, and I'm swatting at this thing with the broom, and it would swoop back down, and we're screaming. We finally, like, well, let's try to get it out and shoo it out. So we go and open all the doors and all the windows thinking we could get this thing out. You know where it went? The kid's bedroom. Dude, if you've ever seen a mother freak out more, I've never seen this, more than a bat in her kid's bedroom. She's like, they're going to kill my babies. They're going to get rabies. She looks at me and says, do something. And I'm like, what? I don't want to get rabies. I'm like, who do you love more? You got to make a choice, Becky. Me or the kids? Me or the kids? She's like, the kids, the kids, the kids. So I, I build up all the boldness and courage I have for the Lord God is with me. And I run into that room screaming and a hollering with this broom trying to get the bat out of the room. The kids stayed asleep somehow, mind you. 
This bat finally comes out of their room and gets shooed out of the front door, and we did a victory dance like you've never seen before. We did it! <laughs> oh, man. The first question we had once we kind of like calmed down was, I wonder if they have security cameras in their house, because that would have been a sight to see. We had no intentions of entertaining a bat while we were there that weekend. Becky didn't look up and see the bat and says, oh, wonderful. We were hoping to have some company this weekend. Come on over. No, it was an immediate, get that thing out. What do you entertain? What sinful nature do your thoughts entertain? Because one leads to death and one leads to life and peace. And what I've seen in my life and observed in the lives of others is we get very comfortable with the bat hanging out in the corner of the room. Well, he's not really hurting anything. Like, let's just leave him there. And our sinful nature, what we, what we allow to stay in our house and in our hearts and in our minds, we get accustomed to and used to. And like, well, it's not really bothering anybody. It's just over there. It's not everywhere. It's just right there. Can I give you permission to do whatever you must to get it out of the house, to get it out of your hearts, to not entertain that sinful nature any longer? If you need to change jobs because you are in a toxic work environment, change jobs. Well, that seems awfully drastic, Brian, to just quit because of the things that... Remember, the mind that entertains the sinful nature leads to death. The mind that entertains the thoughts of God leads to life and peace. I'd say that's pretty drastic. So yes, do whatever you must to get it out. Instead of saying, come on in, we say, whoa, 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 no, I'm slamming the door. I don't want you having anything to do with this. What are you doing here? you've got relationships that are entertaining sin, you need to have some hard conversations with the future of that relationship looks like. If where you live, your neighborhood, your friends, if those are, are relationships or environments where you are entertaining sin, you need to make drastic changes so that your mind is set on the thoughts and things of God. So we have to run from the sinful thoughts. Not entertain, run from the sinful thoughts, but we have to replace with godly thoughts. It does no good to say, well, just do better. Just stop doing the bad you're doing. No, honestly, that's not even the goal. Notice, Paul's not even talking about what you do. He's focusing on your minds. What are you thinking about? What are you dwelling on? What are you focused on? That's going to make a difference in this life of living in freedom and in life and peace. He says, no, it's what are your minds set on? Sinful nature or the spirit. So what do we replace it with? Just like we did earlier with the, the sin list, let me put another list up on the screen for you. You're gonna need your phones for this one. You're not gonna be able to write them down very fast. So take a picture of this. This is out of Philippians chapter four. And we're told vividly and specifically, think about these things. True, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent. In other words, anything worthy of praise. That's what we think about. That's what our mind is set on. That's what our focus is on. Those things of God. So we run from the sinful nature. We run from the sinful thoughts. And we replace it with these. Now here's what I've seen. Every single one of these up here, they lead to something. Every single thing up here, when your mind is focused, when your thoughts are these, it leads to something good. I don't mean the situation necessarily becomes good, but I'm talking about your, your actions, your words, your attitudes. I've never seen thoughts be focused on this and bad stuff come out of them. No, good comes out of these. Think of 
these things. So what are you entertaining? Those or the other? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to run from the sinful thoughts, replace them with the thoughts of God? There's a lot of bad in the world, isn't there? It is not difficult to find the bad. When you look at yourself, it is not hard to find the bad in, in me. It's not hard to find the bad in you. It's a lot of bad. So the whole point of hunting good is, well, how do we see the good and where do we find the good? The right and simple answer is exactly what Paul said. Jesus. If you want to find good, if you want to see good in the world, you need to focus on Jesus first. If you want to find the good and see the good in yourself, you need to look at Jesus first. Jesus has a way of taking what we would call bad and true bad and using it for something good. Because I don't know anyone else that could take something like the cross, something that was so ugly, so horrible, so horrendous, so painful, so torturous, so offensive, so terrible, and use it and turn it into something that reminds us of the life and peace that we have been given. I don't know anybody else that can do that. Take the cross, and we celebrate. To take his death, and we are grateful for it. That's what our Savior does. He takes the bad, replaces it with his goodness. This morning, we're going to remember that together. When you came in, you should have gotten a little cup of communion. And if you didn't grab those, our guest services, they'll be around. If you'll just kind of quietly raise your hand, they'll be happy to pass them out as you need them. Communion is a reminder. It's a reminder of the bad that Jesus went through, but the good that we've received. The death that he experienced, but the life that we have now received. The cracker represents his broken body that was beaten for you and for me. The juice represents his blood that was spilled and poured out for you and for me. All for our sin to be removed. So chapter 6 out of Romans, we learn the good news. We're no longer slaves to sin because of what Jesus did. Chapter 7, we recognize the bad news that there's a lot of bad in us. Chapter 8, we're reminded of how we can live this life of freedom. and reminded that there's nothing that we can do to earn or deserve his grace. He gives it freely. Therefore, verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pray, and as we take communion, remember the good. Thank God for the good that's in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice, for your willingness to take our bad and replace it with your good. Not because we did good to deserve it, not because we can do anything to earn it, but because you love us unconditionally. And you give this kind of grace that is never ending. And you give a peace that is beyond our understanding so we can experience eternal life with you that starts today. Jesus, I'll confess, with all the bad in me, sometimes it's hard to wonder why you would love someone like me. But I set my mind and my heart on the things of you things that are good and pure and holy and righteous and admirable and worthy of praise. So in this moment, we thank you 
We remember your sacrifice and remember your life, the life that you've given us. Thank you for making a way for us to be with you. In Jesus' name.